Hello. Hello. And welcome to uh, Infinite Cast, uh, your your weekly podcast. Your premium podcast. Should be back on schedule uh, fairly consistently for the next, uh, you know, at least six to eight weeks. Yeah, we could probably do some damage. Yes. Might be able to get, get to the 700 Club, page 700. Wow. And then we're really in the home stretch then. Yeah. I think I think 2022. I think we could. I feel like we can wrap it up this year. You think so? We can do our best. We're on a fairly set schedule. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I did the math here. I I, I think we're going to come out to needing to be about 120 episodes, something like that. Okay, all right. And we are. I believe this is episode 70 something. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to make it this okay. year. Okay. Well, we'll try our best. Yeah. Uh, maybe Q1 of 2023 <laughs> sure. is when we're, we're tar- our target date. Sure. Uh, but we're, cer- we're certainly doing the damn thing, yeah. which is more than anyone could have actually expected when we started this project. Yeah, we're on the other side of the, the plot uh, circle, so. Yeah, but uh, say, say what you will about our podcasting. We've got follow through. Yes, just there- like a tennis just yeah, like when you serve like a, a tennis, tennis swing. and you swing your racket and yeah. you follow through. It's just like that. Uh, I, I really hope that, you know, again, there appears to be about a, a thousand of you all following along uh, with the episodes, if I can trust my metrics. But yeah. I really hope that, uh, you know, for future generations down the line, that this, this will be a fairly evergreen series. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> just... Hopefully, once we're done, uh, you know, every once in a while, there'll be some wacko out there who's like, wait, 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 there is a podcast series that reads the entire <laughs> book. Yeah, it's an o- we're doing an audio book with a, a, a yeah. hefty amount of commentary. Yeah, it's a hefty amount of commentary, but yeah. we like to think that it's, it makes it fun and charming. Hopefully. And from the feedback we've gotten, it seems like it does. Hopefully. All right. What do you think? Yeah, let's dive right in. We left off with the uh, wheelchair kidnapping of the WYYY engineer. Largest whole prime on the FM band. <laughs> did you, did, I wanted to bring that one back. Yes. Uh, 11th November, year of the Depend adult undergarment. 18, 10 hours, 133 kids and 13 assorted staff sitting down at supper time. The ETA dining hall taking most of the first floor of West House, a sort of airy atrium-like commons broad and knotty pine paneled the east wall hugely fenestrated and columns running (laughs) the length of the room at center with ceiling fans high overhead circulating the rich and slightly sour smell of bulk prepared food the oceanic sound be like the day after the mario mario's uh the the big meal with where they watch mario's i think it is i'd have to look to see what day i think uh i day's 10th either 10th of november maybe 8th of november yeah yeah we're still yeah we're all pretty close the oceanic sound of 20 different tables conversation the flat clink of utensils on plates much chewing the clank and tinkle of the dishwasher's conveyor belt behind the tray bus window with its sign saying your mother does not live here bus your tray <laughs> the muffled shouts of kitchen workers in steam the top upperclassmen get the best table an unspoken tradition the one nearest the gas fireplace in winter and the AC venting in July. The one whose chair's legs are all pretty much even, both seats and backs with thin corduroy cushions in ETA red and gray. The prorectors have their own permanent table near the carbs bar. The Syrian satelliter and enormous peasant-skirted moment soft profiler are with them. 
The players can all do some very serious eating, some of them still in sweaty sweats with salt-stiff hair, too hungry after three set PMs to shower before refueling. God, the caloric intake of this kind of uh, teenager must be just simply immense. Yeah, a regular teenage boy eats eats like crazy too, right? Yeah, and if you're doing that much daily activity. Yeah. Co-ed tables are quietly discouraged. The, boy, <laughs> the boys' 18s and the cream of the 16s are all at the best table. Ortho, the darkness dice, ETA's 16s, A1, has just this PM gone three sets with Hal and Condensa, 17, ETA's second best overall boy, taking Hal all the way to 7-5 in the third in an off-record, non-challenge, exhibitionist engagement Stitt had them play out on the West Course that afternoon for reasons no one has yet pinned down. <laughs> the match's audience had grown steadily as other challenges got done and people came up from the weight room in showers. News that Stice had very nearly beaten an ink nobody but John Wayne has been able to beat has made its figure eight way around the tables. An ink is that short for an incandenza? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, around the tables and serving line and salad bar, and lots of younger kids keep looking to the best table. And Stice, sixteen, crew cutted and still in his black fila sweats with no shirt under the unzipped top, assembling a complex sandwich on his plate, and they let their eyes widen and posture sag to communicate awe. R-H-I-P. I don't know what that means. Uh, R-H-I-P. R-H-I-P. No. Stice, oblivious, bites into a sandwich like it's the wrist of an assailant. <laughs> the only sound at the table for the first few minutes is a fork work and mastication and the slight gasping sounds of people trying to breathe while they eat. You rarely speak for the first few minutes here, eating. Supper is deadly serious. Some of the kids even start in on their trays while still in line at the milk dispenser. Now Coyle bites in. Wayne has made his entree into a sandwich and lowers and bites. Keith Freer's eyes are half-closed as his jaw muscles bulge and slacken. Some of the players' inclined heads are hard to see over the height of their food. Struck and shacked, side by side, bite in sync and chew. The only one at the table not eating like a refugee is Trevor Axford, who, as a small child back in Short Beach, Connecticut, once fell off his bike onto his head and received a tiny lesion-type brain injury, after which all food everywhere tastes horrible to him. His clearest explanation of the way food tastes to him is that it tastes the way vomit smells. He's discouraged from speaking at meals, and holds his nose while he eats, and eats with the neutral, joyless expression of somebody dispensing fuel into his car. <laughs> Hal and Condensa dismantles the stelliform mold-shaped ETA mashed potatoes come in, mixing uh, baby boils in with the mashed. Petropolis Khan and Elliot Cornspan eat with such horrible POW-ish gusto that nobody will sit with them. They're by themselves at a small table behind shacked and struck, utensils glittering amid a kind of fine mist or spray. <laughs> Jim Trolch keeps holding a clear tumbler of milk up to the ceiling's full-spectrum lights and swirling the milk around in the light, looking at it. Pemulus chews with his mouth open, producing moist noises, a habit so family of origin ingrained no amount of peer pressure can break him of it. Eventually, the darkness clears his throat to speak. In the showers, he'd gotten up to the middle of an Xmas story about one of his parents' epic rows. You say row for uh, for an for, argument? For fight. I've, I've never been quite clear on that. I'm having a bit of a row. All right, well, I if guess. anyone British It's not to... a real word in America, so I, I, <laughs> it, the pronunciation doesn't matter. His parents had met and fallen in love in a country western bar in Partridge, Kansas, just outside liberal Kansas on the Oklahoma border. Met and fallen in star-crossed love in a bar playing this popular Kansas CW bar game 
where they put their bare forearms together and laid a lit cigarette in the little valley between the two forearms' flesh and kept it there till one of them finally jerked their arm away and reeled away, holding their arm. Mr. and Mrs. Stice each discovered somebody else that wouldn't jerk away and reel away, <laughs> Stice explained. Their forearms were still, to this day, covered with little white slugs of burn scar. They toppled, they t- they'd toppled like pines for each other from the get-go, Stice explained. They'd been divorced and remarried four or five times, <laughs> depending on how you define certain jurisprudential precepts. When they were on good domestic terms, they stayed in their bedroom for days of squeaking springs with the door locked, except for brief sallies out for beef eater gin and Chinese takeout and little white cardboard pails with wire handles, with the Stice children wandering ghost-like through the clapboard house in sacking diapers or woolen underwear, subsisting on potato chips out of Econo bags bigger than most of them were, the Stice kids. The kids did somewhat physically better during periods of nuptial strife, when a stony-faced Mr. Stice slammed the kitchen door and went off daily to sell crop insurance, while Mrs. Stice, whom both Mr. Stice and the darkness called the bride, (laughs) while the bride spent all day and evening cooking intricate, multi-course meals she'd feed bits of to the brood. Stice refers to both himself and his six siblings as the brood, and then keep warm and quietly rattling lidded pots and then hurl at the kitchen walls when Mr. Stice came home, smelling of gin and of cigarette brands and toilet O, not the bride's own. Ortho Stice loves his, folk to, t- loves his folks to distraction, but not blindly. And every holiday home to Partridge, Kansas, he memorizes highlights of their connubial battles so he can regale the ETA upperclassmen with them, mostly at meals, after the initial fork work and gasping have died down and people have returned to sufficient levels of blood sugar and awareness of their surroundings to be regaled. Some of them listen, drifting in and out. Trolch and Pemulus are arguing about whether ETA's kitchen staff has started trying to slip them powdered milk on the sly. Freer and Wayne are still hunched and chewing, very intent. Hal's making some sort of structure out of his food. Struck keeps both elbows on the table at all times and utensils in his clenched fists like a parody of a man eating. Pemulus always listens to Stice's tales, often repeating little phrases, shaking his head in admiration. I'm just going to go up and refuse to eat one more thing with the utensil that's gone down the disposal. Shacked is holding up a fork with crazy tines. <laughs> just look at it. Who could eat with something like that? The old man is the son of a bitch that is cool under fire in terms of the bride, Stice says, <laughs> leaning in to bite and chew. The tendency at ETA is to take the entree, and unless it's a wet entree, to take wheat bread and make it a sandwich for the extra carbs. Mm-hmm. Love this. Love this idea. It's like Pemulus can't really taste his food unless he mashes it against his palate. The Academy's wheat bread is bicycled in by guys in Birkenstock sandals from Bread and Circus Quality Provisions in Cambridge because it's not only got to be sugarless, but low in glutens, which Tavis and Stitt believe promote torpor and excess mucus. Axford, who lost to Tall Paul Shaw in straight sets, and if he loses to him again tomorrow, goes down to number 5A, stands, stares stonily into space. His motion's less like somebody eating than somebody miming eating. Hal's made an intricate fortification structure of his food, complete with turrets and archer slits. And even though he's not much eating or drinking his six cranberry juices, he keeps, six cranberry juices. He keeps swallowing a lot, studying his structure. When I went to visit my sister at college for the first time at the mm-hmm. University of New Hampshire, mm-hmm. I was blown away by it's a it's a pretty jockey school. Yeah. Even the people who aren't jocks dress like them. And just like 
at the dining hall, there would just be trays where people would get like four drinks. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, damn, yes. Like you could just have as many drinks as you want, like a milk and a juice and a water and a soda. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> anyway, this is like that. Yeah. Uh, as the eating... The memory that this is bringing back to me is the very specific type of milk dispenser in these institutional dining halls that has like the little it's like a bag r- suspended. Yeah, and it has like the little rubber like nozzle nozzle that you like push it a weird. I way. used to have to replace those uh, at when I worked at a diner, and let me tell you, trying to maneuver a huge wobbly bag, bag of, of milk, milk into a hard square structure not easy. Yes, and then and then pull. Utter like the little uh, yeah. nozzle down through the slot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my my other college milk story is that I visited my friend at Middlebury, which is a a fine fine school. Yeah, and they were known for having or just organic, delicious uh, Vermont chocolate milk. Oh, it was fucked up mm, milk. It wow, was so good. Straight from a chocolate cow and milk straight from the brown cow, and chocolate milk is great for hangovers. Uh. As the eating slows down at the best table, the more observant of them give Hal and Axford tiny sideways looks, the players' different CPUs humming through decision trees on whether a still publicly undiscussed but much-rumored showdown with Dr. Tavis and the Onanta urology guy, if you can remember that they were in trouble for possibly getting tested. Plus, now this loss to Shaw and near loss to Ortho Stice might not have shaken ink and axe handle along some psychic competitive fault line, different guys with different rankings calculating the permuted advantages to themselves of Hal and Axford having a deeply distracted and anxious week. Though Michael Pemulus, the other rumored Onanta urine scanner, ignores Axford's expression and Hal's excessive swallowing altogether, though possibly studiously ignoring them, staring meditatively at the squeegees, which takes us to end note 259. Mm. Sorry. These, uh, registered uh, Mark, a number of fine companies are like enormous versions of the little windshield washer implements at service stations. An industrial mop handle with a canted rubber blade at the end used for spreading puddle water out so it dries faster. At some academies, replaced with the easy dry hinged roller of dense sponge at the end. Court dryer, which ETA eschews because of how fast the rolling sponge at the end mildews and smells bad. Mm. Back to the text. Squeegee's taken down off the wall and leaning against the unlit fireplace, fingers steepled before his lips, hearing out Trolch, who blows his nose with one hand and rattles his tumbler of half-drunk milk on the tabletop with the other. Pemulus shakes his head very seriously at Trolch. Not a chance, brother. I'm telling you, man, this milk is powdered. Trolch peering down into the tumbler, probing the milk's surface with a thick finger. Me, I can tell from powdered. I have growing up domestic confirmed traumas around powdered. The day mother announced milk was too heavy to keep lugging back from the store and switched to powdered with father's okay. Father knuckling under like Roosevelt at Yalta. My my big sister ran away from home and the rest of us were traumatized around it. The switch to powdered, which is unmistakable if you know what to look for. Freer makes a snoring noise. And do I ever know what to look for to verify? Trolch is hoarse, hoarse. And one of these people who speaks to more than one person at once by looking from one person to one person to one person. He's not a born public speaker. Namely, your telltale residues along the sides of the glass when swished with great flourished swishings of the milk. Except trolls, you can turn around and see them fucking loading the bags into this, the dispenser every 20 minutes. Bags of milk that say milk on them. The bags, liquid, sloshy, hard to handle. It's milk. You see bags. You see the word milk. 
They're counting on the packaging, image management, sensory management. Responding to Pemulus but looking at Struck. Part of some larger overall Kurtwang. Possible punishment for the Eschaton thing. Eyes briefly going to Hal. Covert vitamins possibly next. Let's not even mention saltpeter. Put aside deductions from bags a second. I'm sticking to facts. Fact, this is verifiably powdered milk. You're saying they mix powdered milk and then try to pour it into milk bags all to a lay? Shacked clears his mouth and swallows mightily. Tavis can't even regrout tile in the locker room without calling a community meeting or appointing a committee. The regrouting committee's been dragging along since May. Suddenly they're pulling secret 0300 milk switches? It doesn't ring true, Jim. And Trolls has a cold, he said, Freer observes, indicating the little bottle of Seldane next to Trolch's squeezing ball by his plate. You can't even taste Trolch if you got a real cold. Trevor should have the cold, axe handle, no? Shaq says, tapping carminative capsules onto his palm from his own amber bottle. With supper, they can choose milk or else cranberry juice, that most carb-caloric of juices, which froths redly in its own clear dispenser by the salad bar. Ooh, is it in the, like, rotating? Yeah. Why do they do that? Why do they agitate juice? Is it to make <laughs> you think that it's, like, fresh? Uh, maybe just so that sediment doesn't pile up? I've never known cranberry juice. To have co- well, if it's cocktail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The milk dispenser stands alone against the west wall, a big, huge 24-liter three-bagger, the milk inserted in ovaloid mammarial bags into its refrigerated cabinet of brushed steel with three receptacles for tumblers and three levers for control dispensing. There's two levers for skim and one for supposedly high lecithin chocolate skim, which every new ETA tries exactly once and discovers tastes like skim with a brown crayon melted into it. (laughs) There's a sign in a kitchen staffer's crude black block caps taped to the dispenser's facade that says, Milk is filling! Drink what you take! The sign used to say, Milk is filling... Oh, milk is filling, semicolon, drink what you take. The sign used to say, Milk is filling, comma, drink what you take, until the comma was semicolonized by the insertion of a blue dot by a fairly obvious person. (laughs) Which takes us to endnote... Uh, 260, Mrs. Incondenza always grades everything in blue ink. Mm -hmm. Back to the text. The line for seconds on entrees now stretches out past the milk dispenser. The best thing about satiation and slowing down on the eating is leaning back and feeling autolysis start on what you ate and tending to your teeth while you gaze around the airy room at crowds and clumps of kids, observing behaviors and pathologies with a clear and sated head. The littler kids running in tight circles trying to follow the shadow of the ceiling fan. Girls (laughs) laughing crumpled against their seatmate's shoulders. People protecting their plates. The blurred sexuality and indecisive postures of puberty. Two marginal male 16s have their heads directly in the bowls in the salad bar and some of the surrounding females are commenting. Different kids are illustrating points with different gestures. John Wayne and Keith Freer stroll purposefully through the serpentine crowd and up to the front of the seconds line and insert themselves in front of a little boy who's tearing at a held bagel with great violent movements of head and neck. The 18As get a, uh, get free Batinskis. What is, okay. RHI literal P at ETA. Jim Struck spears one of the cherry tomatoes out of Hal's salad bowl with a savage fork gesture. Hal makes no comment. I don't know what R-H-I-P. Thank you. Trolch has run his thick finger around the inside of the tumbler and is holding the digit out at different guys around the table. 
Note a certain bluish cast to it, traces and remains, suspicious foam, minute grains of not quite altogether dissolved particulate powdered stuff. Powdered always leaves its telltale signs. Uh, RHIP means rank has its privileges. Rank has its privileges. In the military, it's like a military slogan. I see, I see. All right. Something to discuss later, perhaps. Your fucking head is a minute grain, Trolch. Put that (laughs) finger away. Trying to eat here. Paranoia, Pamela says, scooping up stray peas with the flat of his knife. Base tuition of 21,700 scooters, not counting, Trolch says, moving the finger back and forth in the air. The stuff drying on the finger does not, admittedly, look exactly appetite-whetting. And yet let's note how the lung's not up in spite of rampant weather and Achilles' complaints, and today's lunch a total deja vu of yesterday's lunch, and the bread and bagels they've started getting us day old, with the stickers on the bag, the yellow stickers on the bags. And there's dinette sets in the tunnels, and acoustic tiles in the halls, and lawnmowers in the kitchen, and tripods in the grass, and squeegees on the wall, and Stice's bed moves around, and there's a ball machine in the girls' lockers, Longley reports, that for this kind of tuition, none of the stuff the staff can get around to cleaning up. Stice's head has jerked up, a trace of mashed potato on his nose. Who says my bed moves? How's it you know anything about any beds moving? (laughs) But it's true. The Husky 4 uh, tripod, or the Husky 6 tripod of Mario's near-fatal encounter with the USS Millicent Kent was only the beginning, starting with the mysterious and continuing fall of acoustic tiles from their places in subdorms' drop ceilings. Inanimate objects have either been moved into or just out of nowhere, appearing in wildly inappropriate places around ETA for the past couple of months in a steadily accelerating and troubling cycle. Last week, a grounds crew lawnmower sitting clean and silent and somehow menacing in the middle of the dawn kitchen gave Mrs. Clark the fantods and resulted in eggplant parmesan for two suppers in a row, which sent shockwaves. <laughs> Yesterday a.m., there had been a can- cannon-esque ball machine, no small feat to move around anywhere or get through doors, in the female sauna, which machine some of the upper-class girls had found and screamed at when they went in for the dawn saunas that help alleviate some vague female-type problem that none of the guys quite fathom. (laughs) And two black girls on the breakfast crew reportedly found a set of squeegees on the dining hall's north wall, several meters up, and hung crossed in a kind of saltier, placed there by parties unknown. FTV Hard's AM groundsmen reportedly took the things down, and now they're leaning by the fireplace. The inappropriate found objects have had a tectitic and sinister aspect. None of the cheery odor of regular pranksterism. They're not funny. To varying degrees, they've given everyone the fantods. Mrs. Clark had taken the morning off again, which was why the repeat lunch. Stice's eyes are back on his plate, which is nearly clean. Unmentioned is the fact that Shacked and Tall Paul Shaw at lunch went over the whole part of the north wall the black girl said they found the squeegees on and could find neither nails nor holes from nails, as in no visible means of attachment. The whole thing's been studiously not talked about, adding to everybody's discomfort at Trolls' horse complaints about tuition, which vary in specifics but are otherwise routine. And then now the ultimate dietary clusterfuck, attempted powdered milk. Trying to foist it, you're saying. I'm saying, and look at us, and what do we do? Fake a cold and stay in bed playing sportscaster with a TV in protest, says Pemulus. <laughs> Trolch uses the bottle of Seldane to point for emphasis. We don't want to hear about it. We look the other way with our heads in the sand. Sounds fucking painful. Go find some fucking synonyms for beat. 
Sice swallows hugely. Never open your eyes underground, my old man's dictum. <laughs> and so we distract ourselves, Trollches. We yuck it up. Pemulus makes a K sound. Here's the real question. How dumb is Trollch? Trollch is so dumb he thinks a manila folders a Filipino contortionist. <laughs> Trollch, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Joke. Kyle Coyle says, surely they've all heard the one about what, what do Canadian girls put behind their ears to attract boys? John Wayne gives him not a look. Wayne's peering inside his own tumbler, where there does seem to be some sort of residue. There are fragments of lettuce in his eyelashes. <laughs> Orthostice's cheeks are ballooned with food. His eyes on his own salad's remains, expression abstract and furrowed. A terrible kind of community energy in the whole dining hall. A kind of anxious sound carpet under the surf of voices and the tinkle of flatware. And the darkness is at some vague center of this energy, somehow, you can feel. Neither Wayne nor Hal has been approachable all fall on court. Kids at other tables say low-toned things to their seatmates, and then the seatmate looks covertly over at Stice's table. Forehead purpley crumpled, Stice stares hard at his salad and tries to block input from his phenomenal peripheral vision. Two fourteens are contending over toast. Petropolis Khan is preparing to catapult a chickpea at somebody. Drim Struck points out Bridget Boone and the USS Millicent Kent returning for what Struck counts as fourths, and Stice blocks the sight out. The sad, pretty sunset out over the hilltops of Newton cannot be seen because the room's big windows face east, out over the hillside, and the Enfield Marine Complex at the Academy has bathed in shadow, so EM's porch lights are already on, and tall cubist bits of the old metropolis beyond that, east, with shadows encroaching. The afternoon just past was a glory, scrubbed and cool and windless, cloud-free, the sun a disk, the sky a dome, soaked in light, even the northern horizons bell clear against a faint green-yellow cast. Shaq has about eight amber bottles of various medicines for his Crohn's <laughs> disease and a whole oh. ritual of administration. A couple of the black girls who work kitchen and custodial day shifts can be seen against the shadowy tree line, making their way down the steep hillsides unauthorized path back down to the halfway house thing for wretched people who come up here to work short time. The girls' bright, cheap jackets are vivid in the shadow and trees tangle. The girls are having to hold hands against the grade, walking sideways and digging heavily at each step. The black girl, Clinette, Hal had read fear in as she left CT's office with his litter now, has a bulging backpack on her back, as in bulging maybe with dumpster pilferage, which takes us to endnote 261. A phenomenon not unknown, viz. menial employees and shift workers mining ETA's collected waste for cast-off value, permitted by the administration and Mr. Hard, or rather just not actively discouraged since one man's trash, dot, 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 and so on. And the only requirement being a certain visual discretion when carrying off ETA's awful, uh, simply because the whole thing's kind of embarrassing for everybody. Back to the text. <laughs> Uh, where? Oh, uh, her arms strung way out behind between the other black girl, Dee Dee, and the trees she grabs and digging in sideways with each step, the hesitancy of steep, dark slopes, rooty and shot through with briars. A girl with bangs rises and tings her tumbler with a spoon to make an announcement. Nobody pays any attention. <laughs> now cons, by custom, allowed to come over and sit with them at the best table post-prandially. Wayne and Stice both shiver at the same time as the overhead lighting suddenly becomes the big room's primary light. There's a brief and sort of ignorant discussion on why girls who hit backhands one-handed seem prone to have different, having different sized breasts. 
Hal recalls his brother's late in college thing of seeing if uh, he could take a girl out somewhere public and then meet and have covert sex with a whole different girl while still out with the first girl. Wow. This was after the girl Oren had been wildly in love with and himself had compulsively used in films had been disfigured. Oren kept a record of subjects that was sort of a cross between a chart and a journal. He used to come home and leave it out just pleading to be read. This was back when his brother Oren needed only to have sexual intercourse with them instead of getting them to fall so terribly in love with him they'd never be able to want anyone else. He'd taken obscure massage and psych courses and read tantric books whose illustrations seemed about as sexy to Hal as Twister. Coyle says, they're ankles. Everybody ignores him. That's the, what do, what do Canadian girls put behind their ankles to attract men? Or behind their ears. Behind their ears, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Wayne's already left the table. Little 14C Bernard McCulloch, two tables over from the milk dispenser and constitutionally delicate and not long for ETA, throws up in a silky tan cataract onto the floor <laughs> by his chair. There's the shriek of the feet of other chairs being scooted in a star pattern away from the table and the protracted vowels of repulsed children. Struck, Pemulus, Schacht, and Freer have all had sexual intercourse. Coils are probable, but reticent. Axford has trouble even publicly showering, much less submitting nude to a female's inspection. Hal is maybe the one male ETA for whom lifetime virginity is a conscious goal. I don't remember this. He sort of feels like O is having enough acrobatic coitus for all three of them. Freer even has a, like, souvenir colposcope bolted to the inside of his locker door where a pinup had been in days of yore. What is a colposcope? Colposcope. I'll look it up. Thank you. And Pemulus and Struck have allegedly patronized the combat zone after the fiscally pressed city <laughs> buckled and rehung the combat zone's red lights east of the commons. So okay, there's some so. legal prostitution in Boston now. That was the uh, subject of my novella that I wrote for one of my senior theses was what if prostitution was legal again in Vermont? It was a very <laughs> deep David Foster Wallace ripoff. Really? Yeah, I should pull it back out. Colposcope? Colposcope. C-O-L. A medical diagnostic procedure to visually examine the cervix. Ew! Dude, what? Gross. Wait, what? A souvenir? Blur. God. Uh, But Jim Trollton sex? No way. And with Wayne and Stice, the question seems somehow beside the point. Hal's mouth feels like it's overflowing with spit. He should, by all rights, have lost to Stice today, and he knows it. Stice was in physical control of the third set. Stice choked it away only because he didn't believe he could beat Hal yet, deep down, since (laughs) Hal's competitive explosion. But the crisis of faith that cost Stice the mass has concerned a different Hal, Hal can tell. It's now a, a whole new Hal, a Hal who does not get high, or hide, a Hal who in 29 days is going to hand his own personal urine over to authority figures with a wide smile, an exemplary posture, and not a secretive thought in his head. No one except Pemulus and Axford know it's a whole new and chemical-free Hal who should by all rights have lost to a 16-year-old out there in public on what ended up a gorgeous new new Northeast autumn day. Wayne had gotten up and bust his tray in the middle of the jejune breast thing. Ortho, the darkness stice, is still staring into a salad. If you could open Stice's head, you'd see a wheel inside another wheel, gears and cogs being widgeted into place. (laughs) Stice has a secret suspicion about a secret that has more to do with the actual table than with the people at the table. A lot of the guys interpret his intense distraction at Stice's being in in the magic can't-miss zone from this PM's match. 
How, how are we feeling on time? We are at, that's 31. I mean, how much longer does this go on? Two, two or three more pages? Three, three and a half more pages. Uh, let's press. Go, keep going? Yeah. All right. The idea being that knock girls can only attract guys by being really easy to X is the joke, <laughs> Coyle yes, says into it. the noise. Then there's a brief rippling lull in the whole dining hall as little Evan Ingersoll emerges from the entree line's end on crutches, his cast new and sailor hat white, oh. unsigned, pro-rector Tony Nwangi behind him with his hatchet face stony, carrying the kid's tray with him. The hall's unease is almost visible, a corona around Ingersoll and the ruptured patellar tendon that'll cost him at least six months of competitive development. Oh. oh, Penn, whose femoral fracture will cost him at least a year, isn't even back yet from St. E's orthopedic, but at least Ingersoll's back. Ingersoll's the guy that howls like, I hate this guy and I don't know why. Yes. The, one of his little one buddies. One of the little buddies, yes. And who was injured, and who was injured in the Eschaton, yes. Not the major injury, which is getting your head stuck, stuck in the screen. Yeah, stuck in the, the display screen. Hal gets up to go over, Trolch rising to accompany him after a long look at Trevor Axford, Ingersoll's BB of record who's sitting in his chair with his eyes shut tight, unable to make any sort of conciliatory gesture. A match sore Hal, not limping, but stiff-legged and shoulders, slightly rolling, as he and Trolch move serpentine around tables, steering way clear of the custodian and dull steel bucket on rollers, and the mop spreading and diluting McCulloch's chyme out in a thinning circle that clears three tables, which Hal, Hal and Trolch know, oh, sorry, which Hal and Trolch avoid with practice curves around tables whose layouts they all know well. Hal to say, hey, and how's the limb? <laughs> Trolch to say, hey, and be basically relieved he's away from a discussion of females as sexual objects. <laughs> Trolch has never come close to even dating anybody. Some guys here never do. It's the same at all the academies, this asexual contingent. Some junior players don't have the emotional juice left over after tennis to face what dating requires. Bold, nerveless guys on the court who go slack and pale at the thought of approaching a female in any social context. Certain things not only can't be taught, but can be retarded by other stuff that can be taught. <laughs> I know that's Agreed. retarded in its uh, true meaning. Yes, no, that you're, you're allowed to say that. The whole Tavish shit, so yeah, God, the uh, improvement matrix of like, yeah, you can try really hard to get better at this, but it's going to make you, you worse, worse at a lot of things. things. Yes. Uh, like uh, being being online and posting and then being in public Republican, and being yes. a regular person. Exactly. <laughs> so, sometimes I bring up a meme in person. I'm like, I shouldn't yeah, have done that. I couldn't, shouldn't talk about That's this. It's embarrassing. The whole Tavish slash shit, shit program here is supposedly a progression towards self-forgetting. Some find the whole girl issue break thing brings them face to face with something in themselves they need to believe they've left far behind in order to hang in and develop. Trolts, Shaw, Axford, any sort of sensual, sexual tension makes them feel like they need more oxygen than is available right then. <laughs> A couple of the girls at ETA are kind of slutty, and some of the more aggressive, freer type guys can break some of the girls down and get them to have sex. There's nothing if not time and proximity here. But ETA is a mostly comparatively unsexual place, and maybe almost surprisingly so, considering the constant roar and gurgle here of adolescent glands, the emphasis on physicality, the fears of mediocrity, the back-and-forth struggles with ego, the loneliness and close proximity. There's scattered homosexuality, most of it unemotional and unconsummated. <laughs> Keith Freer's pet theory is that the bulk of ETA females are nascent lesbians who don't know it yet. That, like any serious female athletes, they're basically vigorously male inside and so sapphic tending. 
The ones that get to the WTA, which takes us to EndNote 62, i.e. the Women's Tennis Association, the die staff equivalent of the ATP. Back to the text. The WTA show will probably be the only ones who find out that they are, he believes. Dykes, that is. The rest will marry and spend a lifetime by the club pool, wondering why the hair on their husbands' backs makes them shudder. E.g. <laughs> the USS Millicent Kent. 16 and phenomenal on the incline bench press with breasts like artillery and a butt like two bulldogs in a bag. <laughs> Nicest term which caught on. Already looks like a penal matron for your likes to observe. And no one likes the fact that Carol Spodex carried and prized the same uh, single large grift Donne stick for going on straight five straight years. Orthostice of Southwest Kansas looks briefly up at Hal and Trolch's departure before returning his attention to a certain cherry tomato perched somehow halfway up the in shallow incline of his salad bowl. It's possible that the cherry tomato is attached halfway up the incline by an adhesive bit of yogurt dressing rather than just sitting there defying gravity on its own. Stice doesn't use a finger to move the tomato and check this. He's using only his concentrated will. He's trying to will the cherry tomato to roll of its own objectile power down the incline and into the bowl's center. He stares at the cherry tomato with enormous concentration, chewing his tri-level skinless chicken filet sandwich. The chewing makes overlapping plates of muscle all the way up one side of his face and crew-cut <laughs> scalp bulge and roll. He's trying to flex some kind of psychic muscle he's not even sure he has. The crew cut lends his head an anvil-like aspect. Complete concentration makes his round, red, fleshy face look crumpled. Stice is one of those athletes whose body you know is an unearned divine gift because its conjunction with his face is so incongruous. <laughs> he resembles a poorly spliced photo, some superhuman cardboard persona with a hole for your human face. A beautiful sports body, lithe and tapered and sleekly muscled, smooth, like a polyclitus body, polycletus body, Hermes or Theseus before his trials, on whose graceful neck sits the face of a ravaged Winston Churchill, <laughs> broad and slabs featured, swart, fleshy, large poured with a mottled forehead under the crew cut's V-shaped hairline, and eye pouches and jowls that hang, and whenever he moves suddenly or lightly make a sort of meaty staccato sound like a wet jog shaking itself dry. <laughs> Extended grotesqueries. Yes. Tony Nwangi is saying something acerbic to Hal, who looks like he's kneeling penitent before Ingersoll. Everyone at the surrounding tables inclined very subtly away from Hal. Trolch is signing Ingersoll's cast as he speaks into his fist. <laughs> Off the court, Orthostice's flat top crew cut and penchant for cuff rolled blue jeans and button down short sleeves with a checkered pattern are strictly from Hick. The facial scrunching that attends concentration adds crevices and seams and an uneven flush to the bulldog face. Uh, his cheeks are ballooned with food as he stares at the perched cherry tomato, trying to respect this object with all his might, summoning the sort of coercive reverence he'd felt this PM as several balls sudden anomalous swerves against wind and their own vectors half convinced Stice they'd become sensitive to his inner will at crucial times. He'd mishit one cross-court valley and seen the thing head for an area wide, even of the double sideline, and then curve like a drenched spitter back to land just inside the singles corner. And this at a time when the ground's pines uh, behind Hal and Condenza were breeze-leaning in the exact opposite direction. Hal had given Stice a little bit of a look on that one. Stice couldn't finally tell whether Hal had noticed anything amiss in the mysterious curves and downdrafts that seemed to favor the darkness alone. 
Hal had played with the wide-eyed but unfocused look of a tennis player right on the verge of falling apart out there, and yet strangely affectless, as if deep inside some well of his own private troubles. And Stice wills himself again not to wonder what had passed with the headmaster and the Onanta urologist, whose lab-equipped van's unscheduled appearance in the ETA parking lot yesterday afternoon had caused a tsunami of panic just before supper, especially since Pemulus and his supply of lab-ready Visine bottles were nowhere to be found. Even among the small circle who know Hal gets secretly high, it doesn't make much sense that Hal's misery'd be Tavis or urine-related, since Pemulus had never seen blither than today, and if anyone were going to get the boot, chemically or otherwise, it was not going to be the ETA administrative's rel- administration's relative and second-best boy. Hal and his brother Mario both know that the skim milk at ETA has been pre-mixed powdered milk since Charles Tavis assumed the helm four years back and told Mrs. Clark he wanted the kids' animal fat intake halved in a month by any and all means. <laughs> the kitchen's graveyard shift power mixes it in enormous steel bowls and then strains out the foam and pours the milk into real milk milk dispenser bags for a kind of placebo effect. It's mostly just the concept of powdered milk that gags people. Struck has traded his shiny clean plate for the absent incandenses fortification structured plate of uneaten fillets, low gluten bread, cornbread, baby boils, a pea chickpea based ala, half a fresh squash, mashed potatoes packed in a stelliform gelatin mold, and a shallow bowl of dessert sims featuring simis, featuring mostly it seemed like plums. Simis is a a, a Greek fruit dessert. I guess I'm, I it's aggravating that we had to wait until the very end of this chapter to actually hear to hear what they're actually eating, eating. oh but this the stray chickpea yeah. the stray uh uh ba- P- baby yeah, boil P- like the cherry tomato yum uh, i mean i could very clearly imagine it just because i've you know you you remember these big in- uh, institutional cafeteria meals so well and it's all always basically the same you know it's like the the chicken breast that is skinless the skinless chicken breast that is like the the perfect white color of a like a new tennis shoe yeah but with the flex of herbs on it like as as to give the indication it's been seasoned without actually being seasoned yeah it's been cooked completely unseasoned the entire journey from raw to cooked but and then the and then throw on a little like salt and oregano yeah they pass it over a conveyor belt that's like a fan in front of a little uh dish of herbs that just like herb blasts the front of it and and then uh, and then send it out Herb to bless. the yeah yeah okay I'm sorry th- this is one of my favorite th- this <laughs> section is tr- jam packed with mm-hmm. uh, perfect little nuggets Tzimis is a uh, Ashkenazi Jewish stew made from carrots and dried fruits such as prunes or raisins often combined with other root vegetables the idea that this, this is, is the dessert, dessert yes so fucking funny yeah. <sighs> Hal is still down on one knee by Ingersoll's chair, his elbows on his knee, listening across Ingersoll and a blindfolded Idris Arslanying to Tony Nwangi. Keith Freer remarks blandly on how Hal seems like he's feeling sort of punk this evening, checking Stice for a reaction. Struck orders truisms about wasting food and global hunger through a full mouth. Struck is wearing a socks cap to the side so the bill shadows half his face. The bread is unkind to his braces. Freer is wearing the leather vest with no shirt under, which is what he favors after Waits had pumped his torso full of air. Stice had had a traumatic psychic experience at 14 when he set the weight on the pull-down station too high. Mm. And Dr. Dolores Rusk has authorized his exemption from all but very basic weights, pending resolution of his fear of weights. 
The joke around ETA is that Stice, who's surely showbound after graduation, has no fear of heights but does fear weights. <laughs> Keith Freer, though kind of a second-ranked junior player, does look beautiful in his calfskin vest. His face and body match. Trolch wants a sports casting career, but Freer is the ETA with looks interlaced with favor. Freer's from Inland, Maryland, originally. His family's riches, Nouveau, a family Amway business that hit big in the BS 90s with his now deceased father's invention of a pet rockish novelty that was ubiquitous in stockings for two straight pre-millennial Xmases, the so-called phoneless cord. Stice, let that sink in for a second. The phoneless cord. Uh-huh, indeed. Uh-huh, yes. Stice okay, great. dimly recalls his old man getting That's such a, f- a fucking 90s joke. <laughs> Stice dimly recalls his old do you, man. Do you remember getting a cordless phone? Or was that just something that was always around? I definitely remember uh, like it like We basically. had a cordless phone from I think pretty young. Yeah. Mid 90s. But that I did that was definitely a thing was like, oh, now the phone the phone has no cord. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, yes, exactly. Uh Dim, or sorry, Stice dimly recalls his old man getting a phoneless cord in his stocking, ostentatiously packaged, on Ortho's first recallable Xmas back in Partridge, Kansas, the old man cocking an eyebrow and the bride laughing and slapping her big knee. Nobody, <laughs> nobody now much even gets the remembered gag, though. So few things needing cords anymore. Mm. But Freer's old man had invested his windfall shrewdly. That's the end, that's the, the, that's the end of the segment. Great. That's a good place to stop. 45, a bit of a long one. Yeah. Um, but we got, a f- I think, 11 pages. Hell yeah. Well, so. that's, the, that's the thing that we got to, now that we have some time at home, we got to really, uh, let's, let, let's put some mileage behind us. The phoneless um, cord. Uh, my, but, but, you, my know, first, you know what the gag is? What? We still need cords, man. We need charging oh, We need cords tons like of crazy. cords. Look how many fucking cords are behind my TV. I see. I look around and I see an egregious amount of cords. Cords for everything. So many different cords for even just the Apple products. You, and it's just to have just to be able to compute and watch TV and podcast. We're going to... The next big revolution is going to be the truly cordless revolution. Cordless charging for all things, cordless broadcasting for all things. Every it should you, everything should be solar powered, and you should be able to lay it on a pad. Yes, uh, you know, or or just short, put it in the sun. Short wave wireless power transmissions, so you don't even need to plug your TV into the wall. Chris, I should be able to set my phone in the sun and have it stay charged. Why? Why? My phone needs a solar panel. Is that yes. something that I can do? Um. Uh, My question is, is the implication that Hal is one day sober right now? Yeah, one or two days. Yeah, that he he basically, like, stopped smoking. He got... Cold turkey. He got scared, like scared by his interaction with uh the the post um eschaton interactions with Tavis and uh is now uh off off the off the weed. Off the off the grass. To try to synthesize, it sounds like the conversation that Pemulus was able to pull off, which might have been fueled by his catching Avril and Condenza mm-hmm. in flagrante yes. with uh um maybe pulling a little blackmail. With John Wayne, uh they got they bought them thirty days, meaning mm-hmm. Which is what I actually think. I really don't believe in drug tests in general. um, But if you do it, it's not a test of uh, whether you are currently doing drugs. It should be a test of whether you can stop with a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. But honestly, really, I think I think the anti I think the correct position would probably just be uh, who cares. Yeah. Who care? Can Um, you do the job? Maybe if you're operating machinery, maybe you shouldn't be uh, drunk. Let's say that. Yes. Yes. But a little a little weed to do your job better. Who cares? Yes. 
Don't quote me on this. Uh, so I think they were bought 30 days and Hal needs to be uh, sober for that. So he's going cold turkey and it's not going well. Yeah, which is, which is why, uh, you know, he was not doing so well against. So we have that. We have the little Betty back, back from Eschaton causing some psychic damage. This is a big, big deal. And in the physical damage. Physical damage. Yeah. We have uh, some unexplained shit going on at ETA. Objects yes. are being moved, and it sounds like there was like literally divine intervention at some points with the tennis game that Stice was almost being like, uh, and Stice who let's let's pull this back. He had that thing where the weights were too big, and so he pulled himself up to the weights. Very which embarrassing. We, which has been uh, which has been a, a, a running running theme and metaphor for uh, a lot he, of the book. He consults then, Lyle. Lyle says you have to respect objects. The, the world is very old and is made up mostly of objects. <laughs> and so now he is seeing he's seeing all these things happen. He's seeing the tennis ball thing. He's like, did did I do that with my mind? Yes. Did I respect this object so much that it got me to win? Is Stice also the the one? The, it was referenced in this chapter. Who wh- who is the kid whose bed keeps moving in his room? Uh, I think it's Stice. I think it's Stice. Oh fuck! So he's being bedeviled by by mis- mysterious objects movements. Stice or Trolch? But I think it's. I'll have to. I'll have to look that up. Because I remember that. I remember that segment about yes. the one who is being driven crazy by the movement of furniture in his room. Yes. Um. Yeah, so lots, there's some, Yeah, I, I, said, I said this book is starting to get, uh, was going to get metaphysical. It's, ha- okay. it's happening. There's the, you know, I know this is, this book is grounded within a, an absurd reality f- to, for the most part. Uh, you know, even the idea that a man in a wheelchair could bomb down a hill with a shovel at the end of his uh, yeah, and s- wheelchair and scoop, and scoop up. up a guy is yes. something that is completely outland- outlandish, but yes. it's written in a way that's like, okay, yeah, I'll buy it, yeah. But now where things are getting starting to get a little crazy. Why? Excellent. Why? Well, Why? I'm 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 interested to know what what mysterious things move at the heart of the uh at the heart of darkness. At the ETH. I had a thought. I think it was inspired by maybe a talk we had uh when we were uh you know wandering the grounds of Coachella, which is just that in America some, something that I think a point that is being made in Infant Jess is that we just we fuck adolescents up so bad. Like it's yes. I think there's you know, there's been a lot of stuff of like little kids are trying to make their lives better, not having them work, for example, mm-hmm. like not having them work at the factory, but yes. also like enrichment stuff of like teaching them how to read and, you know, figuring out developmental things. And then it's like as soon as you're an adolescent, they say, Fuck off. Like go into school jail for a million hours a day. Yeah. Have no ed- no sex education, no uh, like no the educational system of like actually figuring out how to like what you're good at or what you, your vocation might be is completely broken here. Uh, shunting some kids straight into college without wondering why. It, oh, it's just a mess. The dr- well, drug and alcohol thing. It's it's interesting from a historical point of view that that like the idea of adolescence is like a fairly new concept. You know, yeah, they invented teenagers and once like we stopped the, sending them to die in yeah. Europe. Well, I mean, it is, it's funny. And I think this is one of those things that scrambles people's brains so much, uh, you know, especially in regards to uh, ideas of like, I don't know, uh, how, how to put this, um, I don't know, like child sexuality and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, uh, the, there's a reason that bar and bar, bar mitzvahs are at like age 13. Yes. In a, in a more ancient and old 
would have been uh, religious tradition in age. which like adulthood could have been assumed at the age of 13 in yeah. say the year zero. Yeah. Like once you uh, get your yeah. period, yes. time to get married. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Obviously, I'm not making an argument here for like the uh, the adulthoodness. Like the, the the thing is, is that as history progresses, clearly the trend is that adulthood takes place later and later and later. Yes. In humans, especially as we as the average lifespan of humans gets older and older and older, and so yes. then you end up with this bizarre this this in period of time, say from the age of thirteen to eighteen. Yes. Commonly called adolescence, adolescence. where you're like. We're we're trying to rapidly build cultural and and political institutions around uh, these this time. Yeah, but at the same time, especially in modernity, everybody has to pretend that everything has happened forever. Of you course, know? of course, it's that that thing where like that we've been talking about or joking about both on and off mic, where like people find out that something is like bad like like that tiktok phenomena, phenomenon where it's like clearly somebody has learned about like colonialism yesterday yeah it's like hey y'all hey, i need to tell you about why everybody who's ever done this thing is inherently you know like, i'm gonna point i'm gonna point in yeah. the air and point at things that y'all should learn now that i learned them yesterday. yeah exactly Didac- didactic uh the yeah, didacticism. Di- di- yeah. have i talked about uh liberalism's problems with children on this on the on this no, pod, hit, hit, hit me. This is from a very good Liz Brunig piece from. Oh a yeah, few you haven't ago. done this on the pod. So I, I don't you. think I've mentioned this here. I I I think it's it's Liz Brunig in the Atlantic. That it, if you just search Liz Brunig Atlantic, the liberalism's problem with children. I think you should find it, which is basically the idea that the undergirding of liberal society, the basic premise, like post Enlightenment, is that society operates because we are all individual rational actors and that is like the social contract that undergirds everything that you are an autonomous actor in a marketplace of choices yeah and that all of our laws our economic corporate our economic structures treat each individual citizen as like you that person is theoretically going to make the most rational decisions on their own yeah and thus are offered a certain number of freedoms yes that they can then choose from and on the whole if you finish your dinner you get to have dessert yes and yeah. on the whole you know a society will function by people rationally pursuing their own interests but then we have this category of people who are explicitly outside that yet have their own autonomy to something to their some own degree which is Children. children and we still have not reconciled the idea of what children or people under the age of 18 are yes in a liberal society yes. are they the property of their parents yeah are they uh full citizens but with limited rights yeah you know and i and it's a very good piece and it brings up this idea and it, it it's she wrote it in the context of this current like grooming panic moment of, of being like what are children in society what you, it, but but it's basically like you know, are they a th- constant like threatened class? Are they you know yeah. a a a a weapon a, like the the an extension of their parents? Yeah. Basically, yeah. is is like you know whatever a child's parents' political decision is. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. Now I've been on a long rant about about <laughs> all of this, but it is an interesting issue that 
all stems from we fucked them up, the adolescents. Yeah, and in new, new and interesting ways. And it does. It's uh, it's always you know, but but it's for the kids of any any kind of like social decision that is made, especially around like sexuality and yes, uh, you know, yes. even like dr- drugs and alcohol, blah blah blah. Like, yeah, it's just I God, I mean, even like the that peculiar feeling of being seventeen and mm-hmm. being like I am one year away from being a legal adult. Yeah. But I like I don't feel like I'm going to be that much different in a year. Why can't you just give it to me now? Yes. Uh or like, you know, the legal drinking age, yeah, legal drinking age, legal like smoking age or whatever yeah. being set at like 18 or 21 or whatever, which you know, I, g- I generally am supportive, but it is very funny of being like, well, how are we going to solve this problem that, you know, s- certain substances will have adverse effect on people and you probably don't have a, a certain level of self-control until x y age. Yeah. Well, we will make it fully illegal yeah and completely contraband yeah until the second you turn 21 21 and then, and then it's fully legal completely available and encouraged and encouraged yes uh it will yeah, yeah. it will be advertised to you yes. constantly the uh, per- perfect illustration of that is just like going on a website and being like a booze website and be like are you 21 yeah can you be w- like yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i am uh, the yeah no it's Oh man, I just don't. I don't know what what the answer for it is, but it, it's it, when you like lay out how these things actually work in regards to children, and especially again in the in our psychotic current moment with all the like, uh, you know, right right wing like groomer panic, which is so seems so obviously disingenuous to me. But I'm you know I'm sure that within the flock of the you know the the disingenuous like groomer panic people, there are some uh rubes who are like genuinely in a state of acute panic about like the sexual oh yeah i would imagine it's a small a small group of people who know that this is a great way to manipulate people and then a large group group of people people who are easily manipulated uh who are totally fine with their kids youth pastor uh marrying them straight straight out Out of of, uh, high school out of youth that's that's good that's 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 a sign of a healthy society uh that that's a win for me that's a that's a big dub yeah no uh, totally there's or the people who are convinced that uh, that you know like 17 million white children are trafficked annually or whatever whatever those yeah. like in, the panic which uh, i don't inflated, yeah. I, ju- I judge them i judge them morally but there it it, it does seem to be a collectivized mental illness yes. uh, like a, a delusion you know the well, satanic a- panic like would it's a it's a mental illness or a mental delusion that it's easy to lean into because it reifies the things that you already, you already believe. believe. Yeah. 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 Uh, which, you know, that that America is what or the America, the world is more violent than it is that white people are actually the most opp- oppressed or straight, you know, straight white traditional families right. are actually under the attack, most yeah. under attack of, yeah. of everything. Yeah. Like you, you seek out things that re- reify uh, those things. And again, the it be the fulcrum point of children especially adolescents this whole thing that i've been talking about the problem liberal liberalism's problem with children makes that the most vulnerable fulcrum point to drive people insane yes a classic theme of this podcast a cultural a, insanity a, yeah a ruin yes yes what do we do with these fucking children yes what do we do with these children why they're, yeah they're so innocent they're so they're so small. Yeah, the idea don't was have any money. originally, oh, we can just send the we will make these institutions called schools and the kids will go to that and the schools will teach yeah, them we'll how to become like we'll good teach workers. Them, yeah, good <laughs> workers, but like 
you know, get a quote education, which will in some way prepare them to join society. But then it's like, but what is this education? What are these schools? Ah. I feel like I'm just ranting at this point, but yeah, but well, yeah. that's what a that's what a podcast is is for a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, the mi- the microcosm of American adolescence in a te- in a tennis, tennis academy, academy. Where... and then you put the uh, the added stress of just like plus you now have to become a master at a physical competition. Yeah, and then they're therefore sublimating all of the yeah. things that make you an adolescent, like mm-hmm. your hormones and you know the idea. I don't know, just the the. I, I forgot that Hal like doesn't want to have sex. He's a vo- he's a Volcel. Yes, he is a Volcel. That's kind of an interest. I I had forgotten that kind of part of him. That it's yeah. so unbelievably detached. I'm not. I I don't want to get to a point where I say that being detached from your sexuality is is a be- is a naturally bad thing. But it does seem like he is in a particular kind of trouble that isn't just endemic. It is caused by yeah his, well, who he is, like who his parents an, are, like an avoidance than an actual like ah eh, this just isn't for me. You know? Yeah, it's a. Uh, it sounds like he. This is coming from you know how how he's grown up and yeah, what there's something he pathological does. here yeah. i mean just that like snuck in detail about the uh orin's the ostentatiousness ostentatiousness yeah of orin's um sexuality yeah god that's yeah. <laughs> not good uh can i do you have anything more that you would like to get into today i don't can i end today's uh, discussion with a, uh, a a very Wallisian uh, vocab word that I've learned this week. Oh yes, please. Um, I this came up for me uh, doing research into the Protestant Reformation for the uh, for Matt and I's upcoming Thirty Years War uh, History podcast. Uh, the word is a pasquinade. Pasquinade. P a s q u i n a d e, which is a skit flyer or cartoon uh, as that is intended to mock or ridicule something or someone, uh, particularly of a political nature. Uh, and this came from uh, a thing that would that was you know popularized in 16th century Italy, where there would literally be like little places around town where people would would do posts, would like like pin up like near a statue, like short poems or little like satirical paragraphs lampooning cultural and society stuff yeah uh this is like a very very early version of posting do you know why it's it's pasquin pasquis is is somebody right uh it's peschino a mutilated ancient statue set up by a cardinal in his palace in Rome in 1500. The locals named it after a schoolmaster or tailor or bar or barber named Peschino who lived nearby. And people, I think people posted on that. It was yes, like, that yeah, was it was the, like literally a, a statue where that became the hub of people like posting these like pithy little, yeah, uh, you know, poems or or. Also, the statue was supposed to represent Menelaus dragging the dead Patroclus. If anyone has seen Troy 2004, <laughs> because yes, that is, that's the main, that's the main story. Anyway. Anyway, Pasconade. I just love the Pasconade. And if anybody uh, asked me, you know, if I have to introduce what Chapo Trap House is to, uh, to people at like a party who have never heard of it, I'm trying to drill into my head to only respond, uh, respond. Oh, well, it's a delightful little audio Pasconade that we put to, that we put to, uh, that we put out bi-weekly. That's funny. A little audio pas- pasconade. pasconade. 
Oh, I love to log log on Twitter each day and do my little pas- pasconades. Post, post my little pasconades. Uh, and, every, and everyone laughs and cheers and faves. And faves, RTs. yes. <laughs> Yes, it's a good it's a good word. Yes, it's a good word. I got to commit it to memory. Pascanon. Yeah. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.